This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Pooney. Hey, hey, welcome to this special interview episode of Growing Up Rock. This is Stephen Michael along with Sonny Pooney. How's it going? Dude, you can you can quit talking about the Hollywood thing, but I, I'm not <laughs> going to quit talking about the Hollywood thing. And now and now that's led over into your uh, podcast, Rock City Life, and, and that's where it's going to stay. Uh, Joe and I have <laughs> Joe and I have already been talking how we can um uh how we can um uh trademark Hollywood Pooney in and start uh you know getting that out there. <laughs> I'm okay with it. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so okay. I heard a weird story. You gotta clear this up for me. How weird something about a homeless guy that stole 20 bucks dude so so okay so let me let me catch the listeners up because if you don't listen to podcast rock city then then you'll be lost but if you if you listen to podcast rock city which is the the all kiss podcast which Sonny also co-hosts on that along with uh joe polo and and joey have not uh go check it out it's a great podcast especially if you're a kiss fan um, but, um, Joe and I live in Atlanta and so, um, we know each other through the chat boards, but we've never met in person. We're both, uh, we're going to be at, um, the, well, we were at the, um, rock and pod expo by the time you hear this, that'll be after the rock and pod expo. But, um, so Joe and I meet up. Uh, the other night to go to a Dead Daisies concert, um, and the dives were opening. Uh, so I invited Joe out uh, to go catch the Dead Daisies live uh, and in concert. So we met up, and um, it pretty much happened exactly like Joe described it. But Joe left out a couple of details. So yet we uh, we decided, hey, we got an hour. Um, I was at the concert because I was doing this interview that you guys are going to hear with Marco Mendoza. Um, and so we had about an hour beforehand um, to go get something to eat. And Joe had his girlfriend with him and I had my wife with me. Um, so we start exploring and the club um, that the Dead Daisy show was at um, was in a place called Underground Atlanta. Now, Underground Atlanta used to be a pretty vibrant area. It's where they do the peach drop every year. It's kind of a, it was a vibrant area. Basically, it's all but shut down at this point in time. It is a shell of what it was. Um, And it shelters homeless people. And it's just flat out a little bit scary at this point. But anyway, that's where we were to see this show. So we're like, okay, we got an hour uh, to kill. Let's let's go try and find something to eat. So we walk around trying to find something to eat. And there's not a whole lot within walking distance. It was still light out and it's still hot. Um, so we stumbled upon this teriyaki place. We're like, okay, well, we're hungry. We've got to get something to eat. So this place looks okay. Let's Let's go in there. Um, and truthfully, it was a little bit scary, but they were cooking the food right in front of you and it looked pretty good. So we're like, okay, we're, we're game. So we go in there and we're standing in line and basically there's this guy that comes up and 
is basically begging for money. Um, and I, I hate that stuff. I really hate and, that. And I have issues with that because yeah. people can feel however they want to feel about the situation. And I don't want to get into a whole bunch of politics, but I don't know about the rest of you folks out there, but I work pretty hard. I mean, and I don't make a ton of money. I make very little money. I have an average job. I have an average life. Um, and so I do what I can to provide for my family. Um, and so it is what it is. Um, so you work turn and I've seen a lot of things on TV. I've seen things all the time where people that are standing at the exit ramp of an interstate that are panhandling, um, and telling you that they're homeless, they'll be the same people that walk across the street to a parking lot and get in a BMW and drive away. And that's no bullshit. That's flat out. I've, I've seen, I've seen interviews with people and, and that actually happens. It's crazy. And I know it's not everybody. And I know there's some people out there that are definitely less fortunate and down on their luck, but I can't, you, you don't know who's who anymore. And I'm just, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't, solve the world's problems my wife and i both volunteer at a food pantry every weekend so it's not like we don't care it's not like we don't give our two cents um to to try and help out where we can but i'm not gonna just hand people money that i worked hard for out on the streets where they either drive away in a BMW or they go smell, go spell, uh, spend it on liquor, cigarettes, or drugs. I'm not doing it. And so, I mean, I just said, you know, if you're that hungry, ask the guy behind the counter if you can have some food. And he did, and he, you know, the guy didn't do anything. So, so they they asked Joe, and and. Uh, Joe's uh, girlfriend has a huge heart, and and uh, you know. G- she dished out some money uh, because the guy said all he wanted to do was eat. So instead of instead of taking the money that he was given to eat, he took off. So that is nuts. So there, so there you go. That's the first thing. I was just like, oh man, this place is already shady as <laughs> it is. Uh, and just like Joe said, there's like a bunch of kids that seem like they were uh, like, um, runaways. And, and there were some people that worked in the club that we were going to see the band at that were there having dinner, which that to me, that was a good sign. It's like, okay, well, if the people that work around here come here to eat, then they must know, you know, and it was good. The food was pretty good to be honest. Um, so that was all good, but we're sitting there and we're having a conversation, uh, the four of us. And all of a sudden you just hear like this loud scream and this lady who was standing at the door slams down this like super big gulp of Pepsi and it splashes everywhere. And I mean, I got a little bit on my leg, but I think the kid the kid is the one that got it all i mean he was soaking wet but i think well, some of it splashed up i think some of it landed on on joe and and so you know 
I mean, it was just, it was an interesting situation. Uh, when we finally got out of there and headed back to the club, I was like, well, here's the good news. We, we ate food and it was pretty good and we're still alive. So, you know, that's a bonus. Now the club wasn't open. The club doesn't have food. No. So the club, the club is open. The club was not yet serving food because, this club that we went to, they had been in another location for many, many years, like ever since I've been in, in Atlanta, which is like almost 30 years now. They were okay. at another location, and they tore down that location to build condos, so this place moved. And they moved to underground Atlanta because basically it's vacant. <laughs> so they moved wow. there and they, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like they have three clubs, they have a heaven, hell and purgatory club and they're just different size clubs. So they can technically have three bands playing at the same time, um, on the same night if they want to. And they did That's... the night we were there, dead daisies were in one club. Some punk band was in another club. Um, oh. So, I mean, and, and they, let me just tell you, over the years, I've seen some amazing bands at the Masquerade. I mean, dude, everybody you can think of. Like, I've seen Rage Against the Machine there. I saw NXS there. I've seen, I've seen some, like, huge bands there. Um, so, it's, you know, it's got a reputation. It's been around this town for a really, really long time. And it's just kind of a goth punk vibe. I mean, oh, really? That's, yeah, that's what it's like. Like, it's not, uh, you don't go to the masquerade and go, wow, this is the cleanest rock club I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, no, not so much. It, the, it's the club that you don't necessarily want to put nothing down on the pavement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you get to meet Marco? Does Marco come out, get you? Or do you have a backstage pass that goes back and he takes you to the tour bus? No. So I set all this up with their, with their public relations, their PR department. And, um, I was said to, um, meet this, uh, lady at the merch booth at a certain time. And, oh, okay. and about probably about five minutes before I was supposed to meet her, she calls and she goes, Hey, um, this is so-and-so from dead daisies. I'll be down to the merch booth to get you in about 15 minutes. And so I waited and I waited and she didn't show up on time and that's okay because she called me. So I kind of knew she was coming. So I wasn't really worried. Our names were on the guest list. Um, I had a photo pass. Um, and so I just hung out there and finally they, she shows up and she comes and gets me. And she takes me backstage um, and she, she goes, well, who's your interview with? Um, and I told her it was with Marco because that's what they had told me ahead of time. They told me initially that they were going to give me 20 minutes with Marco Mendoza. And I was thinking, damn, 20 minutes, man. That's not a very long time to get a whole bunch of information. Right. You know, so I was like, okay, well, I'll do the best I can, you know. Um, so she comes and she gets me and it's a long walk. Like there's these tunnels underneath the club, um, that go out to the loading dock and out to the area because all their tour buses and stuff were out back. So she takes me down this long tunnel walkway, um, and she takes me to the tour bus. Um, she puts me on the tour bus. Um, Marco gets on just ahead of me. 
and um, they take us back to the back lounge of a bus. Um, I haven't been on a bus in probably, I don't know, it's been a while. I, I, I mean, I rode on buses when I was on the road for a long time, so I'm pretty familiar with them. Um, and buses, if you've ever been on a tour bus, well, really, if you've ever been on a bus in general, they're very loud. Um, if, even if they're just standing still, the, the air conditioner and the generators run and it's pretty loud. So, um, they took me back to the back lounge. Marco was super cool. Um, he's like, Hey, how's it going? Um, you know, and he just sat down and started eating nuts. You know, he was just eating these nuts out of a, a planner's thing. Uh, and you know, he offered me, offered me some and offered me something to drink. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I appreciate it. And I set up all my stuff, um, to start recording. And, um, we, we started talking really before I even pushed the record button. He's just a very personable guy. Um, and, once I pushed record and we started recording, man, there, he just, he talks, man. And he's a great interview. He had a lot to say, um, and a lot of really cool information. I think that everybody's really, really going to enjoy this interview. I mean, there's some, some very cool stuff that he shares in this interview. Yeah. I'll tell you the dead Daisy guys, first of all, they are really active with their fans. So that doesn't surprise me that Marco was so cool. They are active on social media. They interact with the fans. I saw a Facebook Live thing with Karabi and Mendoza, and they were just answering questions. Then I saw a different one that Doug did, and he was just answering questions. I, Man, I wish the U.S. would give these guys a shot because they only got 12 dates, and they're playing clubs. And these guys are good enough to play theaters for sure. Oh, without a doubt. And let me tell you, they're, they're doing it the right way. They're trying to do it old school, which is just building relationships, um, one, one date at a time. And, um, like you said, and we even talk about it in the interview, there's, they're very socially, um, socially active, social media active, uh, with the fans. They do listen, here's one cool thing they do. And I, I don't want to give away too much of the interview because I want people to check it out. Um, when we release it on Monday, but, um, so one of the things they do is, you know, how bands nowadays, they'll do the meet and greet VIP package, right? Where they'll charge you a yeah. hundred bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. Right. Yep. Yep. So what the dead daisies thing, uh, do is they basically tell you the first hundred fans that are standing outside to get into our gig, we're going to do a free meet and greet with after the show. And we're going to, we're going to sign and take pictures with the first hundred fans that were lined up at the door. So I freaking love that because a, you're, you're rewarding the fans that are the hugest fans that are going to wait at that door, however long it is until those doors open, you're going to limit it to a hundred people, which is amazing, <laughs> which that, that kind of got out of control. Marco said, cause Marco said at one point we were doing 250 and 300 people. He's like, we were waiting three hours. He's like, we were, we were signing and talking to people three hours after a show. He's like, dude, he's like, you, he's like, throw us a bone, please. Yeah. You know, and these guys got to realize how big they are. I mean, 
you know, we've said it before, between the four main guys, they're over 100, 125, 150 albums. These guys are all over the place. People know who these guys are. Oh, and and if they don't, you 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 need to come correct with that. You know, yeah. you need to get yourself involved because these guys have done amazing stuff. As you as you heard on that last episode that we did, that bonus episode we did for you folks. If you haven't heard it and you're listening to this now, you know, put this on pause, go back and listen to that, and then listen to this interview. But, um, you know, this this band has been, you know. It's got a lot of history uh, with the members of this band. Um, And even though the Dead Daisies are a newer rock act in the U.S., uh, they, without a doubt, deserve uh, to be heard by by rock and roll uh, fans, for sure. Um, And the dives opened up, um, which, of course, most KISS fans will know from the KISS Cruise and Evan Stanley... Uh, who is the one of the lead singers and guitar player in the band, of course, is Paul Stanley's son. Um, but, you know, completely different than Kiss. And I, I can only imagine how hard it is for him to be trying to step out of the shadow of his dad. I think it's, it's like completely, I mean, I can only imagine. It's just probably ridiculously hard. And I think... You know, I think he deserves a chance. I think the dives write some good music, but um, understand that this is not anything like Kiss or even anything like the Dead Daisies. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to blow your mind on this. So first of all, I got to give credit to Evan because he is not the one that ever brings up his dad's name. Nope. Right? So he's not riding on the guy's coattail, which you got to give it up for him. And I will tell you the dives... You know, it's pop music. I I like some pop music, and their songs are okay, but they just sound pop. like every other pop band that's out there to me. But what's disappointing me, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but Gene has a son named Nick, and I was hoping that Evan and Nick would end up being part of KISS 2.0, whatever KISS 2.0 is, and keep the family name going. Yeah. So Right? So, but... You know, I, I know. think I think that I think that you know we've said it a million times. You like what you like, right? Um, and so maybe they're just not into that type of music. I did see a, a YouTube video which was interesting to me. Um, I saw a YouTube video the other day which had um, Nick and Evan on, I guess, the Kiss cruise um, where they sat down together and did like a Zeppelin tune. Like Evan played guitar and Nick sang, and they did a Zeppelin song. It was all right. I mean, it was a um, "Hey Hey." I think I think that's the name of the song. I don't know. Yeah, I've not seen it, but uh, yeah, I I always thought that. I thought maybe that would be the future, but uh, I can also understand. Like if I'm Evan, I'm like, why the hell would I want to do that? I don't want to do that. I want to be my own guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, who knows what, what's going to come of everything. But I mean, I, I definitely think, um, you know, if you like the wallflowers or just kind of straight up um, old school rock and roll, um, power pop, cross between rock and roll and power pop, 
um, then check it out because I really do honestly think they have some good songs. Um, and you know, he's charismatic on stage. So there is some in his genes and I will say this, I bet he's a better guitar player than his dad is. He's actually a pretty good guitar player. He was, uh, he was smoking some stuff, uh, on some of the leads and some of their tunes. So, um, yeah, that's good. You know, check them out. Um, but yeah, I mean, all in all, just, uh, an incredible, uh, show an incredible concert and, um, uh, you know, make sure you go to the website and read the concert review, uh, that I put out there about this show because, um, one of the premise and I, and I won't drag this out cause I want to get the interview, but one of the premise of growing up rock is, um, sharing the memories and stories, uh, that you had, uh, whether it was your first concert or first time you heard a record. Well, so at this dead Daisy's show, there is, he was probably about eight years old. There's an eight year old kid, um, on the shoulders of his dad for pretty much the majority of the dead Daisy set. Um, and he's holding a big sign that says, this is my first concert. <laughs> and I'm like, that's really cool. I'm like, dude, that kicks ass. And I took a picture and I'll post it on the website. I took a picture of him. Um, and, uh, I was like, damn, I wish my, my parents were that cool. You know, uh, that the dead daisies is, is his first concert. And I'm thinking, okay, so think about it this way. The dead daisies to this kid are basically going to be what maybe van halen and kiss were to us sonny you know what i mean i totally understand and i've i've had the pleasure of seeing my kids faces when they went to their first concert and like for the two girls their first concert they met lizzie hale and they saw hailstorm that day yep and uh i was really hoping that they were like i want to do that and my youngest is a great really really good singer my middle girl is uh she loves music and she's a good singer. She can play any instrument, uh, but she doesn't really like rock that much. She's more into hip hop. But you know, that's exactly what I was thinking: is I want to give to my kids what I wish I would have got instead of discovering it for myself. Dude, and let me tell you this: this is why this kid, this kid, I guarantee you. You know how you and I talk about like our first concerts um, that happened what thirty five years ago, however long it's been, right? Because we're yeah. old as shit now. But <laughs> this kid, uh, and I don't know his age, but I guarantee you, wasn't any older than eight. He he may have been, even been younger. He was he was a pretty young little kid. Um, but this kid, so. Karabi about midway through the set recognizes the kid's son and acknowledges it and acknowledges it to the rest of the guys in the band. And, and so for the rest of the night, his dad kind of worked his way kind of closer to the stage with the kid on his shoulders for the rest of the night, the guys kind of made their way over to the kid throughout the night and, you know, handed him guitar picks and handed him a drumstick. And, you know, cause this is a really small venue. This is a small, a small room. 
Um, and so, um, at one point, Doug steps out onto this little, uh, barrier thing and leans over and lets the kid touch his guitar while he's playing a solo. And so just really cool stuff going on like that. And then at the end of the show, when they go off, so they go off and they come back and they play a couple encores. They do American band. We're an American band uh, as a grand, you know, the grand funk, uh, cover. They come on, they do We're an American man. And then they play the last song, which is uh, midnight Moses, which by the way, I love that tune. They play midnight Moses off the revolution, uh, record. And they bring the kid up on stage at the end. They bring the kid up on stage at the end and they give him a drumstick and have him hit the cowbell with Tishy. And they have him hit the cowbell and then they have him uh, smash the cymbals at the end while, you know, while they're smearing, uh, doing a smear, you know, how freaking cool is that? I mean, that's that's awesome. The kids up on stage with the daisies playing the end of this tune. That's something that kid will remember for the rest of his life. I guarantee it. Yeah. Can you imagine like the kid ends up playing drums? Right. And it's all because of Brian. Yeah. No kidding. Right, man. So this is, this is, this is the kind of stuff that, that I love. And this is the kind of stuff and why it's so important for people to get out there and discover new bands and, and embrace, uh, you know, rock, rock music, embrace bands, even if it's bands that are, that have been around for, uh, for 20 years and have one original member, if they're producing new music and the new music is good, then support it, support it. Yeah. And I'm glad that the interview we got was with Marco because although I like, uh, John and I love John, Doug and Brian, and I'm starting to love David. And since he's involved, those guys are really rock guys. Marco has the most vast musicianship. When you look at the 44 albums he's been on, Mm -hmm. he's got soul stuff. He's got funk stuff. He's got solo stuff where he has musicians come in. Um, He's done a lot of different things. So uh, I'm sure he, is probably the most well-rounded out of all those folks. Well, and here's the other thing too. Listen, and this is just me. My personal feeling is is um, Doug and um, John have done a lot of interviews. I mean, they're out there. They've done that. John especially has done a ton of interviews. You don't hear from Marco every day. You know what I mean? I totally understand. So, so that's yeah. kind of why it was intriguing to me. It's like, um, okay, this guy has quite the history, and and I love John, I love Doug, I love Tishy, but this is this is an interesting dude that I want to hear from. Um, and so I was excited to to hear that he was the one that was going to do the the interview with me. Um, and like I said, they told me at first that we were going to do 20 minutes. Marco ended up talking to me for a good 42, 45 minutes. I mean, literally, uh, it was getting close to showtime. I was like, okay, we got to get you up on stage and I need to get back to my friends and family. So, uh, so, you know, let's, let's wrap it up. Let's get you on stage and, and let me go enjoy my, uh, my Saturday night rock fest. 
Um, and so that's exactly what we did, but we ended up talking for 42 minutes. And so, um, I, I think, I really think you guys are going to interview or going to enjoy this interview. And, uh, I don't, I don't think I want to drag it out anymore. Uh, Sonny, let's, uh, let's, let's let these folks, uh, get into this interview. You good with that? Yeah, let's go for it. Enjoy the interview folks. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk at you guys, uh, uh, soon. Enjoy. Later. Later. Hey guys, this is Marco Mendoza with the Dead Daisies, and you are listening to Growing Up Rock Podcast. Great stuff coming your way. Marco, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Thank you. I'm really good, bro. Thanks for having me. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for spending a little time. I love this shirt you got. Yeah, a little Aerosmith, right? I'm a big fan. Big, big, big fan. Yeah, yeah. So you guys have been out of the country for a while here recently, right? We have. We've done, uh, we started, uh, well, let's see. The last week in May, uh, I don't have all the dates per se, but the last week in May, we went to New York. We prepared um, to go to Europe. We did a bunch of festivals along with um, some of the major ones, like right. Download and Sweden Rock right. and Hellfest and Bakken and so on and so forth. Uh, Grass Pop, that was a big, big, big one. Great fun. Yeah. And the fans were just relentless. It was great. We did a lot of meet and greets and all that. So hopefully uh, we made a lot of new friends. That's the idea. Yeah. Along with that, we did some headline shows that were sold out. So the, awesome. the bus is out, the word is out, and uh, I don't mind telling you, we've been working very hard, man. I, I, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I haven't worked this hard ever yeah. in any other band. It's right. just... Uh, the sign of, it is. It's very cool, man. It's... Um, it's kinda, it kind of makes you appreciate what you do a little bit more because... The side that people don't see, the fans, is the hard work, the time that's put in, and the rehearsals, uh, the team around you. There's a big team. Great starts from management to agents to promoters to. There's hours and hours and hours of preparation and dealing and negotiating and the label that's been over the top, um, uh, over the top. Man, they've been SPV, uh, you know, been Spitfire. They've been great at promoting us and supporting us as artists, as a band, and so it takes a lot of people. That's my, my what my point is. It takes a lot of right. effort from a lot of people to get us up on stage and do shows. But uh, but we did. We went overseas to, to answer your question. Yeah. We went went to Europe. We did a bunch of dates there. We came, touched down somewhere in the U.S. to go to Japan. From Europe, we went to Japan. Right. We spent six, seven days out there, which was amazing. The fans in Japan were just dying to uh, 
Trying to hear us and come to the shows, and the, the shows were just just a big success everywhere. And then from there, we went to South America. Uh, South America, we finished in, um, we did Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. And uh, then we ended up in Mexico City, which is a hoot. It was a blast. Talk about the fans down there loving what you do, you know. Uh, you get to the hotel. There's a. You can't get off out of your vehicle without having to sign. And it's just. It's a great right. feeling. It's a great feeling to know that people are paying attention. One that they appreciate what you're doing, and it gives you more fuel to continue. That's you know. So yeah, we've been traveling a lot. Yep. Now you're back in the states to do mm-hmm. the Dirty Dozen tour, which yes. is about 12 dates and. Uh, a little more. Yeah, we added a few more. Yeah. Did you? And that's, uh, you're midway through that, so I think I saw that you, you're ending up in uh, Vegas uh, around the 27th of, uh, of this month. I yeah, think. If, you, um, if you go to the website at thatdaisies.com, we added a few things that came after we're doing. Okay. Um, uh, well, we did uh, uh, Sturgis, obviously, that's, that, was, that was there. And then we got invited last minute to go to Ohio and do the Daisy uh, uh, Rider. Awesome. Yeah, and then we're doing the Milwaukee, uh, another Harley Davidson. That's great, that. man. Yeah, very cool. So you ta- you talked about a little bit about um, Mexico City, and and um, when you were younger, you uh, you you lived with your grandmother in Tijuana. Is that correct? I I did. That's very cool, man. That you that you dug some info there. Yeah, I did. I was born in San Diego. Back in those days, to kind of give you some feedback on what happened. Both my parents came from a bilingual, bicultural family, meaning they had both citizenships because they lived at the border. And so their parents came and they they were born in the U.S. And then they went down to Mexico and they learned Spanglish, what I call Spanglish, right, right. which is a mixture. Yeah. It's a border town uh, language, you know, but English and Spanish. So as far as I can remember, we spoke English and Spanish at yeah. home. Yeah. Uh, Spanglish. And then I watched TV, you know, all my favorite shows were on NBC, ABC, and CBS, of course, before Fox even existed. But uh, so I grew up uh, with that mentality, the bilingual, bicultural thing, and it was a cool thing, very cool. So what was it like growing up there and, and getting into, like, music? What was your, what was your, uh, your gateway to music? Well, I have to say this, man. Mexico, like a lot of Latin countries, there's, there, you can't get away from music. Music is everywhere. It's a big part of what, what is happening, of the culture. So I remember, as far as I can remember, we would go shopping, and there'd be a big band playing there, mariachis. And then we'd go to, to a party, and there'd be another. I mean, music was a big part of the culture. In addition to that, my father... <clears throat> who grew up in his home with my grandma. My grandma was, she is uh, the woman of my life. She is the reason why I play music. My grandmother, Uh Maria Luisa, she was a firm believer in teaching her kids music, the arts. She was a firm believer. And so there was two, three kids. My father was the oldest, Carlos. My aunt, Maria Luisa, and my uncle Alex, and all three have passed now, but they all were excellent musicians. My father was a clarinet player, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, the big band era, he was all into that. My aunt Maria Luisa was a, just a, 
a brilliant pianist. Right. And my uh, uncle Alex. Uh-huh. Out of the three, the only one that pursued it professionally was my uncle Alex. My uncle, you know, being a musician, struggling, he had he ended up having fourteen kids. <laughs> right. Wow. So, so the family gatherings, and he did the same thing with his kids, right? So the family gatherings were about instruments and singing and la la. It was just a great time. That's fantastic. A great great time. So. Um, so I was surrounded by music. That's on my father's it's side, a, and it's in the genes. It's in the genes, yeah. um, and I think when you grow, when you're a kid and you're two, three years old, and you're, you're surrounded by music like it is for kids today, you learn to appreciate it. it becomes part of your DNA because right. it's your surroundings. So in addition to that, my mom on my mom's side, my mom had a had a group. Her and her sisters had a group that got on the charts. Right. They had a, a couple of singles that were released in Mexico. And uh, they were a bit of uh, celebrities there for a minute. So when she ended up marrying my father, she retired from the business. And, uh, and that was it. But she, I remember the vinyl that she had meant tons of musicals, everything you can imagine. Billie Holiday, uh, uh, um, you know, um, uh, all the jazzers. All yeah, the, you jazz. know, and um, a lot of musicals, a lot. The King and I... Carousel, South Pacific, uh, so on and so forth. And so constantly playing on the turntable, music, surrounded by it. And so everything that I went through in life, I identified with certain songs, certain melodies. And to Don't this, we all? Right? Yeah, man. It's like memories, certain things, certain events, highlights that happened in your life. Yeah. And then you, there was a bar- in the background, there was a certain song playing to and that's the music of your life and it brings you instantly back to that period of time in yes. your life right yes what, what was your so so how do you end up getting into rock rock and roll okay rock and roll uh i'll i'll get a little bit into sort of the first instrument i ever played growing up in that environment i, w- I went to a school and uh in the schools there public schools we had big parades and they had like a marching band what we call a marching band and there was only two instruments a snare drum, a big old snare drum, drum boom, you know, and tr- and a horn and a and a cornet, no okay. valves. Okay. So there was uh, an opening for a horn, and I went for it, and it was so much. It was the hardest work you can imagine, man, breaking your lip. So that was my first instrument, bugle, the bugle. Okay. Uh, I liked the whole idea of being part of the parade. I got into the wow, this is cool. I felt important. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I achieved something that 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 uh, carried some weight, and you know, destined for the stage. I think so. <laughs> I think that's when I found the. I dig this because we would par- parade through the center of town. The whole town was there, so. That was my first instrument. Right. Shortly after, my brother, who was older than me, and you know how it is when you're a middle child. I'm not saying anything wrong. Right. <laughs> I'm the youngest. You are the youngest. Yeah. Well, the middle child, the, the youngest uh, gets a lot of attention. The youngest was my, my sister, Linda. So she was a little princess. And, you know, in, a, in the Latin American family, forget it. She got spoiled to death. She was a little princess. My brother, who was my father's namesake, Carlos, he got, he's the, the big brother, you know. So he got... Everything he ever wanted, I remember. I was very jealous and envious of him because he was really good looking and he was the guy, right? Right. I always look up to him. He was very tall. And he got a guitar. I remember him wanting a guitar and he got an acoustic guitar. So 
Grandma came, the parents separated, my mom left, so we stayed with my dad. Grandma on my father's side came to take care of us, and she brought a piano. And along with that piano came years and years of instruction, of uh, ear development, of I got into, on the piano a little bit, little harmony, melodies, and all that development. So uh, that's what happened. I got into that. My brother got a guitar. Shortly after, he let it go. So I started grabbing it. And what was different between the piano and the guitar is that nobody could hear the mistakes on the guitar. I could go into a room, hide myself. I was that kid. I was really that kid, introverted. I had buck teeth. I was very insecure, fear of the world. (laughs) And I found a friend that was making sense, you know? Uh, So that was it. Along with the guitar came a book of chords, the Mel Bay. I don't know, 2,000 chords or whatever. Right. And you start learning one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the variations thereof. And then you realize that these two, three chords play a song. Yeah, you start then to it hear become, it. Then it became a lot of fun. I turned, put the records on and start playing. And that's when I really got into it. Uh, learning songs without, any, without thinking about the genre. But the moment that I call was the moment Pandora's Box where my life changed for the rest of my life uh, 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 made an impression was Abbey Road mm-hmm. when we got for Christmas because we got interested in music and my dad vinyl or cassette vinyl <laughs> no 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 We this is way before cassette brother this is back in 1935 this is even before oh, oh. I'm just kidding no you're, you're, you're not much older than I am we're, we're about the same age yeah we are no this is um the reason, uh, and also it was later than it went, than when it came out, than it was uh, initially released. Right. Because in Mexico, everything is five, six, seven, eight, ten years later. Yeah, okay, right. So my dad was trying to be hip. Christmas, got the album. That was the, the thing to get, Beatles. He probably didn't know the Abbey Road, but he got that album. And it was my brother and I just sunk our teeth into that thing mm-hmm. 24-7 every little bit extra minute that we had we would listen to it and pretend we're playing with a broom and and that was it that, that was, was the it. beginning yeah. of uh, and then my my dad i gotta i give him a lot of credit because i think he saw something he saw that we were interested in something he wanted to keep us away from trouble right which is good parenting in my sure. opinion sure i do that with my kids now uh so he got us electric guitars and he got his little amps and he built a little room in the house for us to, you know, not to bother grandma because mama, you know, grandma was, you know, she needed some quiet time. And uh, so, yeah, we had our little area, we had our amps. So now we started hanging out with friends in the area and we started a garage band right. called Peace Association. Okay. We were cool. <laughs> how did how did you end up um, uh, getting into bass? Because you had good theory on piano, you went into guitar, yeah. and you ended up somehow doing bass. The same thing happened. Uh, I, one of the bands that was in the hood, in, in the area where I lived, uh, they were already doing school dances. They were doing gigs. They were organized. They had their van with their logo on it. They had a PA. That meant big time. That's, that sure, was a big yeah, time. Because we were just goofing that around. Was practically you know? on the road at it's that like, point. Whoa. <laughs> so these guys heard our band. We became friends because we were in the same area. But we always asp- we always looked up to them. It was, we always aspired to be like them. And we kept trying. 
well, their bass player one of these days left the city to another country or something. And they were stuck. They had some gigs they had to, you know, fulfill and uh, commitments. And they asked me point blank. They wanted a guy that could sing because their thing was having two, three singers in the band. They love to do harmonies, which, you know, to this day, uh, I learned how to do that. And I love it, man. It's fun. Right. So, uh, <clears throat> so they asked me, can you play bass? Uh, and I had to lie. I said, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> And I didn't own the bass and never played one or whatever. But I think I had the foundation. I could understand, get around a little bit. Yeah, from piano and guitar, right? What I didn't realize was singing and playing bass was like flip-flopping the brain all of a sudden because guitar, for the most part, it was rhythm. Right. So downstrokes, upstrokes, rhythm, eight notes, boom, 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 boom. Melody, you can sing. But this was counterpoint stuff. This is opposite to where the melody's going. So... My dad saw me saw me that I was, uh, you know, kind of struggling and saw me being down. And he said, let's go get a bass. Come on, let's go. Went to a pawn shop, bought it for like five, eight bucks, whatever. No, no brand on it, whatever. Sure. And I sunk my teeth and I was determined to learn. And I struggled and I sweat and I was, I was, I had a lot of fear and I was so nervous and, and I I added more time and more time, and to this day, that's what I tell everybody. Even when you think you can't grab something, be patient with yourself. It'll come. Do it, and boom, all of a sudden it gets there. So I learned like five songs. Right. I auditioned, and I got the gig. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we were, uh, we were doing some gigs. From that point on, another national touring band from Mexico grabbed me. That was the big time. Now, these guys were doing big shows. They right. had albums. They had... And and that's the story. Pretty much from then on, you know. Just one thing into another. To another, and uh, the word gets out. Uh, and then somehow yeah. you end up doing a record with Bill Ward. I oh wow, very Sabbath, good, man. Yeah, I mean that's that was really that was your entrance into uh, professional rock and roll, right? Well, it was. I had done some stuff, but um, I have to say. I have to say, I was out there struggling with alcohol and drugs. Okay. And that's another interview. That's, that's going to take a long time. So I'll just touch on it. But I got to say, um, because of sobriety, uh, in 1987, September 20th, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll never forget that moment. That was the turn of my... That's when my life began. That's when my career began. That's when I really uh, started paying attention uh, and and being appreciative of the gift of music, because it is. Yeah, it's a gift, man, to be able to live off of it. And uh, so I paid attention. I decided I'm going to make. I'm going to turn around and really pay attention because I had burned a lot of bridges. Sure. Up to that point, I was that guy showing up really messed up. And if I if even if I even showed up, mm-hmm. sometimes I wouldn't. Yeah. So yeah, Bill Ward. I met him in sobriety. That's the funny wow, thing. Wow, that's a trip. He was getting sober along with with uh, Aussie and and a few of the the cats in the band and and I was we were in the same facility. We were in the same facility. So this is what life is. That's fate, so, right? Fate. Yeah. Totally. He heard about me, and I, of course I knew who he was, and we started talking. All of a sudden, he says, "Marco, I'm doing a solo album." Would you love to play? Which I would love it if you play it. Can you can you want to play it on the on it? And I said, "Are you kidding me? Absolutely! Let me go get a bass because at that moment I had sold and pawned and whatever. It's a long story. Right? I had no instruments. 
And so I went and bought one and put some money together. I was doing construction for the first time in my life, other, other than playing music right. to make a living. And um, got a bass, got together with him, and went to the studio. And I ended up playing in five or six or seven tracks or whatever. Yeah. It was a great, yeah, that was a, um, definitely a, 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 another moment in my life, a highlight that uh, kind of turned everything in the right direction. Because of who he was in the album, being what it was, I think it put me on the map. People started paying attention again. And they remember me from before. I had auditioned to drop some new, some names. I hate to, but I had auditioned with Cher. I had auditioned with Lionel Richard. This is when they were huge. Right. So I was, in, I was running in the right circles. The name was around the scene. Yes. Yeah. My name was around. My heart, my spirit was dying because I was drinking yep. and doing drugs. And I was not ready. Right. God only knows what would have happened if I would have gotten a break then. You know. Right. So anyway, that's what it was. And then from then on, I uh, I got so lit into playing music again, and I appreciate it. And to this day, I love it with a passion. It's a uh, it's a gift, man. It's uh, you know, it's definitely a privilege. And you've been involved in just some some, in my opinion, as a fan, right? You've been involved in some amazing projects. Thank you, Stephen. Um, yeah, yeah, it's Black been a great. Black Star Writers, that yeah. first Black Star Writers. All, all three of those records are good. I understand you just you did the first one. Yeah, the first one is amazing. Thank you. Um, and then you've, you've great guys, those guys. Great talents. Great. Uh, uh, you know everything. Everything about that band was really cool. It got to the point where I had to make a decision where I wanted to go, and that's what that's what it is today for me, Stephen. I'm so lucky, man. And I want to use the word blessed, but I am lucky and blessed and privileged. And I think all the work that I've done earlier in my career, my sober career, yeah, it's paying off. The names out there, people call me because they know who I am. I can deliver. You know, the, the the I can deliver, do the job, show up, have a good time doing it. I'm the funny guy. I, I appreciate. I have the attitude. You're, you're the I, cut up of the band. I uh, a little bit. No, John is now, okay. but but we all. You gotta have a sense of humor in this yeah, business. Man. And um, I laugh at myself. I'm the first one to laugh at myself. But uh, so I I take myself serious when I need to, right? And then and then I throw it away when you know and. Uh, Part of the reason I think coming back from that day, from uh, Black Star Writers, why I chose to be with the Daisies is because this is a lot of fun. This is a fun band. Right. You have the talent. You have the names. You have the profiles. You have the experience. You have the whole thing. It's it's a lot of fun. And this is this is an interesting project <coughs> because for all in, intents purposes, I mean, it is sort of a super group. I mean, all uh, you know, all of these guys in this you band. You have to call it something that's cool. We yeah. appreciate it. We kind of shy away from it. I mean, but everybody in this band has has done some amazing things. Whether yes. it's yourself, whether it's Doug, whether it's John, yes, whether it's Brian and, yeah, and David, I mean, David I mean, Lowe, yeah. You know, out of all of those, and 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 this is just. From my perspective, um, David is the only one that I really couldn't find a whole lot of information on. Really, 
didn't see a whole lot of background on. I mean, mm -hmm. I know what I read, and he 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 initially, I think he basically co-founded this band. He founded, right? yeah, with with John, with John Stevens, yeah. Right. So so it's it's his story's kind of interesting. That's not very that's, very interesting. It'll blow your mind. Here's my question yes. for you. You got the inside scoop, so I'll just tell you what's out there, and uh -huh. you, you put put it to rest. Yes. This band in 2017 has more amazing publicity and kick behind it than so many other rock bands out there struggling in 2017 even bands that already have a huge absolutely name. yes my question is is where is the money and the push coming from because the rumor out there and i'll let you address it probably not a rumor but the, go ahead the rumor is somebody in the band is wealthy from something other than music or uh -huh. wealthy and is is basically funding the band yeah. and putting it out there yes what what do you want me to say i, address the, it. The, I will address it <clears throat> and i'll address it in this way I was touring in Australia with Thin Lizzy, Motley Crue, Kiss Tour. We were out there. This is the last run that Thin Lizzy with the, with Brian and Darren, uh, you know, and, and Scott Gorham were going to do mm -hmm. because we had kind of done everything we could do for a while anyway. Mm -hmm. So we're out there and we're having a blast. It's a great tour. The first band opening is this band. And I kept hearing the songs, man. And I'm going, wow, that sounds interesting. Like you do, you start going out to hear the, the band before sure. you start. And I'm looking at the band, I'm going, wow. The girl's singing this, her ass off. She was singing, playing bass. And her wife or girlfriend at the time, the guitar player, was playing great. And then the other cat was David with a drummer. But I kept hearing good songs. Good songs, good hooks. I'm going, wow, this is cool, very cool. You always do, you know, sure. when you're a, a music lover. Yeah, yeah. Not thinking anything, anything of it. Just that's all you do. So we started saying hello backstage like you do at, you know, at uh, uh, when you're eating or whatever. Sure, yeah, Traveling. yeah. Camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea who was who or whatever. So we, I said hello to Dave. David, that's cool, man. That's just, uh, you got some cool, cool songs. So we started talking. Shortly after, his... Uh, manager David Edwards introduced himself and hey man what's up so now we realize we have a lot of pe people in common because David Edwards had been around he he's done every possible touring that you can imagine and experience in the management world with in excess and many he's done it all <clears throat> so oh yeah yeah we start hanging out and then I realized that the writing comes from David and one of the girls so wow this is really cool stuff man it's uh it's rock and roll, pure form, freaking out of the 70s rock and roll songs. Yes, yeah, Stones-ish. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, when, a, when, when you hear a good song, you hear a good song. Sure. So we start talking, we start talking, the tour ended, and before I think two gigs before it ended, David Edwards came to me as manager and, and said, you know, David's working on this project, man, called The Dead Daisies, and we have uh, the singer John Stevens, and I heard the name, the name John Stevens. And uh, we're thinking we would love for you to hear it and see if it's something you want to collaborate or be part of uh, because 
we have the whole album, but we don't have a band. We did it in the studio. And I had no idea, you know, what happened or how or whatever. I didn't care. So I get home. I said, yeah, man, send me your stuff. Here's my info. Two weeks later, I actually get something sent to me, which is, that in itself was a big surprise because I talked to thousands of people that want to do something and never, it just yeah, never just happened. Never, never solidified. That's yeah. it. That's the business. So I was surprised. David calls and says, yeah, 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 we want to send you some soap. Boom, send two songs. Right away, I'm like, wow, listen to these tracks. They're speaking to me loudly. This is very cool, man. This is very, very cool. So uh, I called back. I said, yeah, man, uh, what, can I see some stuff? Yeah, YouTube, blah, 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 like we do. The singer was killing it. John Stevens was killing it. The, 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 the song sounded great. And that, no, so my interest is sparked. I'm going, wow, what, what's going on? So I called David Edwards. He broke it down. So David Lowy, is, he's a very extremely successful businessman who decided to pursue his dream career later on in life. After he became successful at something else, he got to a place where he says, I want to do what I really want to do, what I love doing. And I'm going, wow, that kind of hit a spark. I'm going, that's so cool. So uh, what's going on? I said, well, we have an opportunity to open up for Aerosmith. <laughs> we're trying to get in there, but we need some names in the band. So we're talking to Richard Fortas from Guns N' Roses. Uh-huh. We're talking to Dizzy Reed, who are friends, who were in town, and they know you, and we, you've worked together, and it would just be really cool if we could pull it off. So I called Richard. Richard said, absolutely, I'm down, man. Let's do it. So I call back. I fly into Sydney, and uh, as soon as we got into the rehearsal, man, it was, you could tell something really cool was brewing. I mean, like that. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. After so many years. And uh, so then we talked business. And it was like, listen, you know, we have the ability here to move with the band, to move with the band forward. We have financial help. But uh, before that, so we did seven shows. Before we finished that run with Aerosmith, the buzz was out already. And management came to all of us and said, guys, do you want to do something? you want to go further with this or what? We have an option. We have options. And I said, yes, because the band was kicking. So um, he went out like, he did, like management does and started digging and got, got us a big tour, Uproar, the Uproar tour. And uh, with Alice in Chains and Chains Addiction and Walking Papers, uh, Duff McKagan's band. It was great, great tour. So we got, we got that in the U.S. But the talks that we had in between that, it was like, we can be our own label. We can promote the band. We can finance salaries. Mm-hmm. And then recoup the investment. So we will be our own label. Right. The intention, and I'm going, wow, okay, this sounds really interesting. Yeah. If I had the money, that's what I would do. Yeah, right. Like that. Absolutely. Especially now with what's going on with the labels and all that. So long story short, without getting all into all the details sure. and numbers and all that, we are on a mission based on our founder, David Lowy's dream of doing something substantial in the music business. And he was cool enough to pick and choose the people he wants to be part of it, people that love music. John 
Karabi is going to always do music, yeah. regardless of where he's at. Yeah, for sure. Doug Aldridge, he's always going to be playing music, regardless of what's going, what uh, the circumstance. Right. Brian Tishy, brilliant musicians, talent up the yin yang. Me, I'll put myself in the same column. So we've been very picky about who we call and all that. And I, I've been a little bit instrumental in that. I'm the guy calling my friends and people I think are going to fit. But uh, so we are being, yeah, self-financed. But now we got label interest because we're doing something that's noticeable. Right. Something that's tangible. The labels are going, hey, wait a minute. We got to jump on this wagon because this is doing something. And that's what we're doing. We're relentless. We're working very, very, very hard. Stephen, like I said earlier, bro, I've never worked this hard. Yeah, right. Because we have a great opportunity. We have the, the you know, we have the components. We have the pistons. We have the engine. And we have the fuel. Financially, we have a little bit of gas. It's not going to be forever. But let's just say we have a little bit of opportunity to do something cool. Right. So we're all here. We're all here having a great time. We're part of the journey. And, and we want to include the fans they want the fans to be part of the journey. And you've done some some very cool things with the fan thing. Social media, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of the social media stuff, like um, people, a lot of credit to management, man. People reaching out and telling their Daisy <coughs> stories, I think, is brilliant. Yes. You do the you do the first hundred fans at the venue uh, get the meet and greet thing. Right. With you guys, right? Um, that so was up to 250, 300, and we were spending two, three hours after the show. Yeah, man. But we had to say, hey. Somebody throw us a bone, man. Yeah, we got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, but that's, that's, to me, almost, I mean, there's a hidden story in here somewhere because the music is one thing and it's amazing and the band is one thing and, mm -hmm. and you guys are amazing, but there's something happening under the surface with a new business model to break yes. something rock and roll and absolutely if you guys do that that's amazing now i think that every tom dick and harry can't do it i think you have to have good musicians and good songs and you guys got that well we're 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 you know we're chopping away man we are chopping away we haven't gotten let's just be honest we have not gotten that one hit and we all talk about it but we're trying we're trying like hell we have we have good songs we have but a good song is a good song. It's not a hit until it's a hit. That's the difference. Is there such thing as a hit today, though? Unless you're, unless, and, and let, there me, is. let me rephrase this. There right? is. So is there such <clears throat> thing as a rock and roll hit today? Because if you're Adele or if you're somebody, you can have a hit. I get it. Right. But is there such thing as a rock and roll hit today? I believe so, man. I believe so. I mean, we are the attendance at our gigs, the passion, the freaking you see it out there in social media. People are lit. We're doing something that's making a difference. It's substantial. It's tangible. It's what's going on here? Like you say, you know, it's a new model. Yes. We're doing everything against the first album, Revolution, was called that for a reason. Right. We're going against the grain, man. Against all the, well, labels, what's left, you know. But in the old days, the labels were the ones that manipulated everything. They right. spent millions in marketing and promotion and all that. 
they made the hits. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? I mean, people, <coughs> people but that that machine is kind of gone away, it it right? And, yeah. it's a, and it's a different business <coughs> model. And people say, you got the one faction on the one hand saying, well, why the hell make new music? People are just going to swipe it anyway. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm of the frame of mind that you're making music to be a vehicle to get you on the road and get you in front of people because that's basically you get on on the road and in front of people you sell concert tickets you sell concert tickets you sell merchandise absolutely and that is your business model absolutely you will not make money off of album sales anymore i don't think yeah um I'm, you know, I, and I say I don't like to talk about myself a lot, but I will say this: I'm the ultimate optimist. Yeah. Why? Because I came from where I came from. Sure. And I believe, you know, that there's things to be accomplished out there that we haven't seen. We just don't understand. Yeah, it could be a new model. Could be this. It could be a super group. It could that. We're doing it, and we're working very hard. And we, you should hear us sometimes how we complain and moan and all that but we get up when the lights go on boom because we all love what essentially we all love what we do it's a great bunch of guys man talent up the yin yang bro it's it's the hardest thing in the writing situation just right on the road constantly the hardest thing with the writing situation which never happened with any other group that I, i was part of to this day unless earlier days but um is the amount of music and the amount of song we have to pick and choose because everybody's got something to say everybody's got everybody could have their own solo project everybody yeah, that's and it. we do yeah, uh, you yeah. put out a couple solo records <coughs> and, and john and and doug all, yeah. all you guys yeah so, so there's a lot of a lot of there's a lot of water in the well we just need to take the right water out to feed the people. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. That's what it is. And we want we want to make a difference. We had this conversation today about what's going on. I had to bring it up in Barcelona and all that. There's a, there's a heart and there's a spirit in this project that, that I can't explain it. I can't put it into words unless you're part of the conversations. Sure. We're here to make a difference. Right. We're here to show the world, the country, whatever that music does make a difference, that music can be the bridge between politics and, and, and religion and all the crap that's going on, you know, the color of our skin or our cultural differences or whatever. Music is universal, can make a difference. Yeah. That's basically what's fueling us. That's what we're out there to do, man. I, I Bottom feel, line. I feel better on a Saturday night when I can listen to some more loud rock and roll. There we go, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? Yeah. If it's it for a couple of hours, you can escape sure. from, from the crap. I don't even want to. I want to tell my wife, honey, let's just get rid of the TV. I don't want to hear what's going on. If, if the world is a beautiful place. There will always be bad freaking things going on. Yep. We don't have to subscribe to that we don't even have to listen to it or be aware i don't want to be aware of it to be honest darkness is darkness is darkness no matter how much freaking focus you put on it right and because of media and the press and 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 freaking you know ratings yeah let's be honest what's ratings money yeah you can't tell what's true and what's not anymore. exactly they shape it the way they want to shape it right so we just want to get up on stage and for a few hours make you smile 
have you sing along to some songs that we write and celebrate some of the classics, right. which we do, and we will always do because that's where we came from. And we have the ship and we have the fuel. So I don't know how long we can go, but we're, gonna, we're definitely giving it a heck of a try, man. Yeah. And so everybody's mind and heart and soul and spirit is into that. That's awesome. So man. it's a great opportunity. For me, honestly, I, I say thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to be on this journey. Yeah. Honestly, it's, uh, it's a trip. That's good to hear. And, and revolution and um, uh, make, make some, some noise. noise. Yeah. And then live and louder. I mean, three fantastic records. And, and live and louder, of course, uh, I, I like to go and look and see, okay, what's the set going to be tonight? What's it going to be? And, That's and cool. it's pretty much the record with extra stuff thrown in. Yes. And I'm excited about that because yeah. the record, that live record sounds so damn good, doesn't yeah. it? Did you, now, is it a true live record? Did you guys overdouble some <clears throat> of the stuff? Like it, it, it is in the way that we recorded, I think, 12 to 15 shows. I don't know. I kind of stayed out of it uh -huh. because it was good that we kind of stayed out of yeah. it. You try to put five casts like this, trying to make a decision. Yeah. So management took it. Doug helped in the in the breaking down the, the decision of the tracks that which ones got on, and the 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 common denominator is just to grab the best songs that were performed best with the audience with uh, the best audience response. Sure, and that we captured that. There were some shows that the mics were wrong or they distorted or they just stopped working through the in the middle of the song so the tonality changed or the or the audience wasn't recorded right it was just a lot of a lot of things you know so factors involved right so we grabbed the the, the best tracks that were performed and maybe tweaked a couple of things here and that you have to yeah. that's just what it is it's part of the business that's awesome. but i think we we managed to capture what the band is all about which is and I've been in a few bands. It's a kicking live band, man. It really is. And yeah. every, there's everything. I mean, everywhere you look, it's like, uh, go for the guitar world. You got Doug and, and David just killing it. And then you go to the drum world and you got one of the quintessential yeah, drummers of today, yeah. Brian. And then you go to John, who is one of the, another cat, but who's the best front man, uh, you know, uh, right now, one of the, the best cats. Yeah, so, and then I do what I do, and I, I absolutely have fun on stage, so... Um Dude, I'm totally looking forward to it. So, uh, before we wrap things yes, up sir. here, uh, because we got to get you on stage. I talk a lot. Friend. I know. I apologize. That's but all right, man. It's cool, been great, brother. and I appreciate the time you've spent. My pleasure. Let's. I hope we shed some do, light into this. About, how do you feel about playing a quick lightning round? Oh, go for a it. A musical lightning round. <clears throat> go how for it. That, I'll try to be as honest as I can right. without thinking. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, first rock album you bought? That I bought. Uh, Let It Bleed. First concert. Alice Cooper. The best concert you ever saw, in your opinion? I've yet to see it. Really? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. All right. I think it's going to be Paul McCartney. I'm sorry. But anyway, in the future. Ba band you wish you could play in? Absolutely. Led Zeppelin. Aerosmith. Yeah. The Beatles. The Rolling Stones. Hey, man, you only get one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm very... <laughs> so Zeppelin? Uh, uh, Beatles. Beatles, okay. All right. Your guilty pleasure, a band or a song that's not rock and roll? Uh, um, guilty pleasure. Oh, wow. A band or a song that, that's not rock and roll? 
Claro de Luna. What is it? Claro de Luna. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a classical song. Yeah. Okay. It, it just I was thinking about grandma. And she used to play it. It's okay. Beautiful man. So it takes you Gorgeous. back to your yeah. youth. Awesome. Yeah. Marco. Yes, sir. I appreciate all the time you have given us here on Growing Up Rock. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, brother. I'm looking forward to uh, getting you up on stage, and uh, I'll I'll be out there cheering you on. I'll be looking for you too, bro. With my earplugs in because it's probably loud. It's a little loud, Uh, but but a good loud. I'm betting so. It's all good. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Stephen. We'll see you you soon. Let's do it again soon. Take care. Take care, brother. Great guy, great interview, great band. That is just about going to do it for this episode of Growing Up Rock. But before we let you guys get out of here, Miss Samantha, please tell these fine folks a little something about our podcast, please. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 